Hello. Welcome to the Truth of God's Word, a radio ministry of Sovereign Grace Bible Church, Lagos. Speaking today is Pastor Tony Okoro. So wherever you are, whether you are just waking up or on your way to church, God has planned that we will be together this morning to share the truth of God's Word. So I say welcome, welcome. We have a free book for you, so please listen through to the end of the broadcast as we trust that the Lord himself will speak to you through his word. Greetings, dear listening friend, in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the recent past, the world marked the United Nations International Women's Day, a day set aside every year to celebrate and be reminded of the roles that women play in the world. A question arises, and it is this. Has God revealed in his word the roles of men and women in the home and in the world and in the church? Do we have biblical roles of men and women? The answer is yes, we have. In this broadcast, I want to share with you an article on the Biblical Roles of Men and Women, written by Dr. Peter Masters and published in the Sword and Trowel magazine of 2020. Dr. Masters is the pastor since 1970 of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in the UK. Our starting point is Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 28, where the apostle writes, In Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So we take Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 as telling us that neither male nor female is superior to the other in the sight of God. All are heirs together of salvation equal in standing before God, equal in spiritual value, equal in inheritance. But does this mean that the ancient distinctions between men and women, which appear first in the book of Genesis, that men are to have headship in marriage and in the church, are now abolished? Certainly not, because they are repeated in the New Testament. But it means that within the Genesis rules of headship, we never forget that our spiritual value and standing before God is equal. When we see the instruction that man is to be head and the woman is to follow him in that, we do not deduce from that that men are superior to women. We ever keep in mind Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. It is all too easy for people to make hasty assumptions and draw wrong conclusions. Turning to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male and female. Each is created in the image of God, reflecting in some measure their creator endowed with spirituality, 
given a soul, given the power of reason and various other special characteristics, lifting them high above all other creatures. Then we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. The word help is obviously important to us. What is meant by a help? We may be surprised to know that the Hebrew term comes from the idea of surrounding something. So God is going to make for the man a surrounder or an aid, as it is often translated. One very interesting translation of the Hebrew word is an enabler. Adam will have an enabler, a protector even, a guide, an aid. All these ideas may crowd into the term, making this a high calling. There is the man, but he needs one to complement him and to assist him. Right from the beginning, there is an order, and Scripture continues to advance that order. The man is created first and the woman next. The man first and the woman to make him sufficient, to enable him, to support him, to assist him, to be with him. First the man, then the woman to complete the design and make it sufficient. All this came before the fall and the New Testament looks back and tells us that the man is made for God and the woman is made for the man. Now there is still no notion, despite the distribution of roles, of superior and inferior. We have to keep that idea of superior and inferior right out of our minds. But the man is made to serve God, 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, to bring glory to him. And the woman is made to support the man and to enable him to do that. So we see that the arrangement which relates men and women began at creation. Then came the fall. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, the Lord spells out the consequences. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. The first consequence or punishment for the fall is to Eve. The second, also to Eve, is thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. How does the second consequence differ from the original call of Eve? Was she not created from him to be his enabler, his helper, his aid? Now it is more pronounced. She always was his supporter, but now that sin has entered, the headship of the husband is established more firmly because an entirely voluntary submission is no longer sustainable. We observe that man is punished also for, we read, unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, 
Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Adam will have to suffer toil and bitter frustrations and difficulty. So both are punished. The reason why Eve is now subject to a form of rule is not because she sinned more, but because that is the portion of punishment that falls to her, having sinned first. Adam, for his part, has a toil and the frustration of hindrances. But in each punishment, God provides an everlasting reminder of the fall. He wrote into human life things which affect every man and every woman in every land through all generations to remind us of the fall. Man must toil and labor for his provision and women must know pain in childbirth and obedience to the husband. You could say that the punishments contain a great kindness. It is an immense blessing that there are things written into human life which remind us of the fall, because the fall must never be forgotten. It is the foundation of everything we need to know. The fall of man is a cause of our greatest need. We cannot understand our predicament before God or feel our need of salvation without the doctrine of the fall. We cannot understand ourselves. Even after conversion, we cannot embark upon the work of sanctification without understanding depravity and the fall. We cannot understand society or how or why people think and act as they do without the doctrine of the fall. So God has seen fit to so order the punishment of men and women that there is a perpetual reminder of the fall. Why must women in marriage and in the church be subordinate to men? Because they are, they are inferior? No. Because they sin more than men? No. They both equally sinned. One first, it is true, but they both equally sinned. Then, for what reason does the woman bear her particular punishment and the man his? Because it is the message of the fall. In a sense, every woman in childbirth was preaching the fall. Every man working was doing the same. One of the great campaigns of the devil has been to get rid of the fall, often by massive attacks upon the Word of God. In the 19th century, there arose one of the most vicious of all, the movement for higher criticism. This was designed like a computer virus, in a way, to get into the thinking of theologians, ministers, and Christian people so that the Bible was undermined and no longer thought to be reliable. You could no longer believe in a literal creation account in the book of Genesis. It became described as uh, 
poetry as myth and so on. If Satan could get rid of creation in the book of Genesis, he would destroy the doctrine of the fall. It became, may we say, a satanic obsession and the campaign ensnared whole denomination of churches. Without the fall, there is no need of salvation. There is no need of redemption. Why does society today panic to get rid of subordination in marriage and even to dispense with marriage altogether? What is the real basis of the movement of feminism? What is the engine, its propulsive power? From where does it derive its energy? While it is true that many lean to feminism because of the appalling behavior of many men, the real foundation is this satanic desperation to dispose of the fall. If you can abolish the distinction between men and women and the great sign of subordination which God has given to remind us of the fall, then you will have removed the reminder of the fall and the need of salvation. So, the reason why God has given subordination of women to men in marriage is to mark the fall. Similarly, it is the reason why women should not be preachers. We should not say to ourselves, Oh, I think God does not appoint women preachers because they are unsuited for that task. The biblical reason is to remind us of the fall. Friends, truth is at stake. God's message is being communicated and disobedience is opposition to vital truth. Any ministry of women preachers to men is carried out in defiance of God's own sermon on the fall. We turn now to the two well-known passages in the New Testament. Firstly, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also say the law. Where does the law say that the woman must be the hearer and the man the teacher? The answer is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16 and verse 17. We have to remember that when the apostle speaks of the law, he refers to all the books of Moses. So the law is the Genesis text that we have just referred to. We then turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and verse 12 where the apostle is even more explicit. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, not to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. This is prescribed for the church. Then the reasons are given. Once again, we note the text does not say it is because the woman is inferior to the man, or, as many people suggest, because the role that God intended was reversed in the Garden of Eden, Eve taking the forbidden fruit without first asking Adam, 
Some say that she bears her punishment because she took over his role. Well, it is an ingenious suggestion and plausible, but it is not actually what the scripture says. We may believe it if we wish, but it is only an assumption. Scripture says she is punished because she sinned first. She is chosen to bear one kind of punishment, and the man is chosen to bear another, to proclaim to us the fall. Now, here is another reason, and it takes us back to before the fall. Says Paul, I suffer not a woman to teach, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. The order of creation teaches that Adam will be the teacher and Eve will be the hearer. There was a message, a law in the order of creation. Paul says that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. But we should not conclude that she was first to sin because she was the most naive or the least discerning. Therefore, women are unsuitable as teachers. This would suggest that Eve was made an inadequate and disadvantaged being. The scripture only says that she sinned first and so was guilty on her own account and deserved her portion of the punishment and the message. We have spoken about the subordination that begins in the book of Genesis and is amplified in the New Testament concerning men and women in marriage and in the church. But what about subordination of women in the state, in the nation? What about society in general? May a Christian woman be a chief executive officer or a prime minister? Does the rule of subordination extend into secular life? Before answering, there is just one other thing we need to take in our stride. What about the concept of the woman as the homemaker? Some people stress this very strongly even today. They insist that in the book of Genesis, as you read through chapter 3 in particular, you see the man's role is outside the home and the woman's role is inside the home. They take this and apply it right across the ages, making it a principle that the woman's role is in the home and the man's role is outside the home. But is this so? It is clearly a wrong line of interpretation to take because some aspects of life recorded in the Bible are matters of time-bound culture. For example, there are three New Testament texts in which the Apostle Paul quite plainly indicates that men should work with their hands, which implies that many of us today are out of line with Scripture because we are working with our heads, not our hands. There are Old Testament commands to fight the battle of the faith with spear and bows, but we understand that this language is time-related. But we must be careful not to dismiss as culture or time-related matters that have theological reason attached to them like the subordination of wives. But the exclusive homekeeper role is obviously a time-related issue. 
in America, there are some quite large groups of churches that lay this down as a basic law. A woman should be in the home and that, that is that. If we were living among the Jews in biblical times, we would very probably have a small holding, a growing food. Now, that was the woman's work. In the book of Proverbs, the woman sometimes seeks a potential field, selects and buys it, then farms it to produce food for the family. Another laborious task was that of making bread. She frequently had to grind it with a pestle and mortar. And we are told that the making of bread for her family took between two and four hours every day. No wives do that today in the West or in our country. Not only did she have to make the bread, but there were no shops to the degree of this, this time. So she went round all the farmsteads and small holdings and bartered. She grew a little more than she needed for her family and exchanged it with the remainder to buy items she could not grow herself. She also grew enough to provide for the poor and the needy, for that was in the law of God. And then the wife had to be good with a spindle and weaving because she had to make the cloth and be a needlewoman making all the family clothes including all fancy things and soft furnishings. The tapestries of the home were invariably made by the housewife. All this was very time-consuming without machines such as dishwashers and washing machines. The laundry had to be done the hard way with a board and a stone. We do not have to do any of those things now. There is still much to do in the home, but things have changed radically. So the idea that you must be only a homemaker or you are defying the law of God is way off the mark. Today, the cost of living and the price of a roof over one's head demands that we, we all, husbands and wives, earn money and we have to honor the Lord in those circumstances. We return to the question, may a woman be a chief executive officer of a large company in secular society? If she is gifted and able, we cannot see any reason why not. There are, however, some practical considerations. Can she accomplish this task and at the same time look after her family and also engage in Christian service? Of course, this equally applies to men and women. There are many men who have been offered top jobs in their field. Should I take this on? They would ask. And I think some who have been offered the very highest imaginable positions, but they recoiled because they felt that in their case, their Christian service and the needs of their families would not permit it. They have decided to go no higher than a certain point in their careers. There are many things in life like this People say, my whole bent is towards music or towards the arts. Can I pursue that? But they see that while this is a noble and God-honoring realm, it has been severely corrupted so that principal performances are held on Sundays, on the Lord's Day. 
and so much has been introduced that is depraved. This is a matter of Christian ethical stewardship. The answer is often, yes, in principle, but what are the practical implications? Is the price too high for spiritual obedience? And for women, it can be particularly acute because they may have the high calling of a family. Nevertheless, if the circumstances are right, we give our prayerful support to all Christian women with a special responsibility of high appointment in the working world. This is the article by Dr. Peter Masters on the roles of men and women. May you be blessed and be instructed by this. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Join us next Sunday at the same time as we again consider the truth of God's Word. If you have a question from what you've heard today, please email your request to info at sgbc.ng. Also, to receive your free ebook, email a request to books at sgbc.ng. If you prefer a hard copy, please pick it up at our church premises. Sovereign Grace Bible Church is located at plot 451A Ulua Damilola Fashade Street, Omole Phase 1, Ujudubega, Lagos. For more information, visit our website www.sgbc.ng. That is www.sgbc.ng. You can find us at SGBC on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you would like to speak to a pastor, please call 080-2828-0551. Again, the number is 080-2828-0551. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.